me and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, you might want to pull a message outline out inside the worship folders there. Philippians chapter 2, we're four weeks into our series in Philippians. When I was um, younger, I do a little bit of cycling now, but when I was younger, I was really into cycling in high school, and if my high school had had a team, I'd have been happy to be on a a cycling team, but um, they didn't. So I did a lot of cycling, and I I, I, I kind of observed cycling champs from afar and thought, man, I could never be that good, but I had a... um, I had a friend that was several years older than me named Eric, and he uh, was an accomplished cyclist, but he was, um, I was kind of here, right, as a kid, a high schooler, in terms of skill level in cycling, and he was here, and then professional cyclists, you know, they were just way off in the stratosphere. You could admire them, but never reach their attainment, right? They were just too much, but Eric... You know, several years older, is one of my scout leaders, and he was a good cyclist, and I was an okay cyclist, and I thought, you know what? I can probably get to the point where I can cycle with Eric, right? And he would train me, we worked together, and we did some long-distance rides and all sorts of fun stuff together because his experience level, for me, was attainable, where if I tried to ride with a professional, I'd just like, <laughs> you know, see you later. But with Eric, it worked, my friend, because the gap between us wasn't quite so big. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. I think this is where we're at in Philippians 2 when we look at the examples of Christ-minded living. Um, So far, we've looked at the example of Jesus, and Paul's given himself as an example in chapter 1 as well. And we can say, well, that's Jesus. I mean, come on, God's son. And that's the Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, he got the vision from the Lord, and he was shipwrecked and tortured and jumped over walls and all sorts of crazy stuff. I can't do that. It's too much for me, right? And we're called to follow the example of Jesus, but sometimes that can seem kind of daunting. Where this morning, we get kind of two regular guys. You understand what I mean? And so if Jesus and Paul are up here, Timothy and Epaphroditus are here, and maybe we're here and we're saying, okay, I, you know, Jesus and Paul, it's kind of scary, and I'd like to be there, but I'm not quite sure I, I could do that. But Timothy and Epaphroditus, hey, that's anybody, right? And maybe their example is something that I can imitate, that I can see and observe, and maybe that's something for me. I mean, these guys, by all accounts, they weren't miracle workers, they weren't apostles, they were just followers of Jesus like you and me. And so when we jump into Philippians 2, we're in that middle of chapter 2 that's all about partnership. If you take the outlines out and you turn it over on the back, you see the first uh, chapter 1 was about partnership, and this chapter 2 is about imitation. And we were called to imitate the attitude of Jesus, which is one of extreme humility. And now we're called to imitate some examples of Christ-minded living. Christ-minded meaning being humble like Jesus is. And we're to follow Jesus, and and Paul gives himself as an example. Sometimes that just seems too far out there. Where here we get these examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and maybe, okay, that's something that's doable. You understand? And this is, I think this is why Paul includes them here. So look at, you take the outline, turn it back over in the front, and then look in in, in Philippians 
chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 19. We've already looked at that first section of moving away from self-importance and, and following the example of Jesus and then working out or practicing our salvation in our, in our everyday life. But here we get two examples. One's Timothy and one's Epaphroditus. And it's, it's pretty simple stuff. We're called to imitate uh, the example of service seen in Timothy. And let's look at some aspects of that. Starting in verse 19, we're called to enter into a lifestyle of greater regard for others. And so uh, Paul's in prison. He helped found the church in Philippi about a dozen years before this. And Timothy is with him serving kind of a protege and Paul's not sure he's going to be released. And so, hey, and, and, and I, I might not be able to go, but I, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. And this is what he writes about Timothy. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here, you know, Paul's holding up Timothy as this, this beautiful, admirable example of somebody that has a greater regard for Jesus and has a greater regard for others than he does for himself. And so Timothy is this service-oriented younger one that's being trained by Paul. And, and Paul says, hey, I want to send him to you. And, and so I get to hear news about you. There's no texting and, and email and, and internet and all those kind of things and cell phones and satellites. And, and, and so you got to go. you got to write a letter. you got to go in person and bring back news in person. And so he, he wants to send Timothy and then Timothy to come back and share news. Hey, how, how are they doing? And, and he talks beautifully about Timothy. There's, there's no one else really like him because he's really interested in you and he's interested in Jesus. And so we see this entering into a lifestyle of greater regard for others. We saw it in Jesus, but see, this is something we all can do. We might not all be a miracle worker. We might not all be an apostle, but we all can enter into a lifestyle of putting others in Jesus first. And he goes on, and he says in verse 22, but, for, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So it's so intimate, their service together, that Paul considers him like the son he never had. Right? And he says, Timothy over time has showed himself to be faithful, so much so that he thinks of me as dad and I think of him as son. I put on your outlines... This, and imitate this example of service, establish close relationships over time. God calls us to serve together and to, to serve so faithfully that it's like we're family, right? I hope, therefore, verse 23, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. You say, okay, okay, he's going to send him. And he's, Paul's saying, am I going to get out? Am I going to get killed? Um, is the timing going to be right for Timothy to actually get there and back before I'm dead? <laughs> or will I get out and be able to go myself? But he says, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And I, I want you to catch this here. Timothy is so reliable 
that Paul is willing to send him as his what? Substitute. Isn't that crazy? You know, we think about Jesus and Paul and things like that, about how high up they are, and we can never attain to that. But over time, Timothy has, has had this beautiful, intimate, close relationship with Paul, and he's been faithful, and he has a lifestyle of greater regard for others, so much so that Timothy has earned a reputation for reliability in very challenging times. And Paul says, I think so highly of Timothy that Timothy is going to go in my place, right? I mean, how would you like to sub for the Apostle Paul, right? That's crazy stuff. It's funny because God calls us to sub for Jesus, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Yeah, right? We're Christ's, what, ambassadors? So, Timothy, first example, pretty simple. Enter into a lifestyle of greater regard for others. Establish close relationships over time. And earn a reputation for reliability in challenging times. So, question here on this one. How am I engaging in a service-oriented Christian life? How am I engaging personally? Not, not, not in the past, not in some future when things are better or when circumstances align, but right now. You personally, not nudging the person next to you and saying, hey, this is for you, right? But how am I engaging in a service-oriented Christian life? Like Timothy, right? Next example is Epaphroditus. Uh, this kind of, Epaphroditus isn't a word we use all the time. But it means a charmed or a charmed life. And often a variant of his name would be used uh, in kind of Greek circles if you were doing a betting game. And you'd say a variant of his name is like, well, I hope luck is with me. (laughs) So it's kind of an interesting name. But here, I think if the first one was about service, this one's a little bit more more about sacrifice. And so we imitate the example of sacrifice seen in Epaphroditus. Again, just two regular guys, Timothy Epaphroditus. So let's look at Epaphroditus. And remember, Epaphroditus got sent with a financial gift, a support gift to Paul. Uh, He needed some help. Often when you were in prison, you you needed to provide some of your own support. So the church uh, that was founded by Paul, they they sent Epaphroditus to help Paul out financially and otherwise. And I think he was supposed to stay kind of indefinitely if things worked out, right? Until the, the need was met was the idea. Uh, and, and, and somehow, some way, shape, or form, you know, travel in the ancient world was very challenging and very risky. And something happened, he got ill, but whatever happened, we're not quite sure. But it was, it was enough that he got so ill, some disease or bacteria or virus or result of some mishap on the road, that he almost dies. Okay. And so he talks about sending Epaphroditus back and we catch some things about sacrifice when we, when we learn more about Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. He, Paul says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And just in those five things, look at all the different kind of roles, if you will, that, that Epaphroditus has. He's a brother, he's a worker. He's a soldier, he's a messenger, and he's a caregiver, right? And we wouldn't normally think of like, uh, you know, brother and, and maybe a soldier and, and caregiver and all those things kind of together. But here we get this sense that Epaphroditus 
uh, cooperates and, and ministers according to what the current needs are. I put on your outline this way. We emphasize cooperation that meets current needs. Here's this guy. Paul's getting ready to send him back. And, and Epaphroditus was doing a little bit of everything. And he says, you know what? Uh, he's been a brother to me. It's like he's family. You know what? He works really hard. And he's really steadfast like a soldier in difficult times. And he's your messenger. Uh, it's the kind of small letter, apostle, the word we use, apostle in the Bible. He's, he's a messenger. And, and he, he sent your message to me, and I'm sending one back. And he's also been a, a caregiver to me, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He's taking care of me while I'm, I'm in prison. So Epaphroditus is fulfilling this variety of roles. And I think it's a real example to us of sacrifice. Is sometimes we got our niche. Here's this one thing I want to do in service to people or to Christ, and this is my strength, and I'm only going to do that. And I'm a big fan of playing to strengths, but the fact is, at times, we got to what? We got to jump in, and we got to clean the toilet, and we got to jump in and, 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 and work in the nursery, right? And sometimes we got to get our hands dirty doing ministry, some, you know, ad, ad, administrative support, or, or, or traveling overseas with missions, or whatever it might be. There's all these different ways that we cooperate in ministry, and sometimes it's like, well, I'm going to do this, and that's it. Where Epaphroditus says, no, I'm, I'm just wide open. I'm going to cooperate wherever the need is. I'm going to go for it. And it's going to be a little uncomfortable. And we get this sense from the way that the language, it's kind of obscured a little bit, but the way the language is in this little section uh, and, and we're going to talk about sacrifice and risk-taking, we get this sense that Epaphroditus was a sensitive man. You understand what I mean? That he was unusually emotional and sensitive. The, the language kind of hints at that, right? So here's a guy that's, you know, a lot of times you think, well, he must have been real stoic and, and just kind of firm, you know. And, but no, we get this sense that he's kind of a, a very emotional, sensitive man from the language used about him. And here we see him making this journey, dangerous journey, to the point of risking his own life, and he's engaging and cooperating and meeting all these needs. So we emphasize cooperation that meets current needs. You know, we serve where the need is. It's kind of neat to serve according to our strengths, but sometimes we just serve, you know, where the need is. Look at verse 26. Now remember, Epaphroditus has been sick. There had been some communication had been long enough, and they'd heard he'd been kind of sick, um, and they were concerned about him back home, but he'd been there a while. And, and Paul was so concerned about his personal safety and, and whatever he'd experienced illness-wise or something that when he was well enough, Paul wanted to send him back. And, and so the, whatever the, the situation Epaphroditus was in, it was, it was extreme enough that normally, when you're in a hard situation, what, you know, what, what do we tend to do? You know, it's like, oh, man, I, I, I'm in a bad situation. i got to fix it. And, and we get very concerned, and we get very insular, and we, gotta, and we focus on ourselves saying, wow, this is hurting me, this is damaging me, I'm having a rough go here, and we don't see beyond the end of our nose, and we get caught up about what's happening to us emotionally, especially if we're a more sensitive person. Right? So Paphroditus, very sensitive. He's been so ill he almost dies. And instead of turning inward, catch what happens. Paul writes about Epaphroditus. He longs for all of you 
and is distressed because you heard he was ill. And indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Do you see the source of Epaphroditus' distress about the risk for his life? The source of his distress wasn't what, here's what's happening to me. The source of his distress was how it was hurting other people. You catch that? And I think there's a beautiful example of we expand our compassion for others and we decrease it for ourselves, right? And we saw this in Jesus too, right? Where we regard others more, right? But here we see this beautiful, just Epaphroditus, regular guy. In fact, he, he can't even travel to Paul without getting sick and almost dying, apparently. But yet his emotionalism, which is a beautiful thing here, is not directed toward himself in his severe distress, so distressed that he almost dies. He's more caring about the impact of his distress on the lives of others than he is on himself. And he's distressed, because, and that's a very strong language there, by the way, uh, as Paul writes it, and he's distressed because you heard he was ill. See, his compassion, that sensitivity, didn't get directed toward himself. He directs it into the life of others. For the last few verses, and we're going to camp on these just a little bit for the next few minutes. Welcome him in the Lord. With great joy and honor, men like him. You say, hey, Epaphroditus is a great example. When he comes home, welcome him, honor him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. What Paul's saying is, in the process of Epaphroditus making this dangerous journey, he risked everything, including his own life. And in fact, in this case, he almost died. So the guy with the charmed life name, Epaphroditus, he risked his life and God preserved him. I, th- I think we're supposed to catch that, right, with the language that Paul's using here. But Paul says, I want, and I put on your outlines this way, we expose your life to hazardous challenges for the sake of the gospel. You know, folks, there comes a time at times not foolishly, not kind of flippantly, that we're willing to expose our life to hazardous challenges for the sake of the gospel. And here's this relatively, I think, sensitive man who maybe wasn't very robust. In fact, he got sick, almost dies. As he's supposed to minister to Paul, he ends up getting to the point of death. And the Apostle Paul says, welcome him, honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. You couldn't all go. Someone had to come help me. And either you wouldn't or couldn't. And he says, okay, I'm not the perfect guy. Maybe my constitution's a little frail. Hey, you guys remember, I'm kind of sensitive. But take me. I'll go. It's a beautiful illustration of sacrifice, I think. I want to capture something about Christian courage here that I think is very significant. This this language here, risking his life in verse 30, the best way to describe it, and someone wrote it this way, is to daringly expose oneself to danger. 
And this, uh, you know, kind of language guy, he writes this, Thus, from this word alone, it is clear that Epaphroditus was no coward, but a courageous person willing to take enormous risks, ready to play with very high stakes in order to come to the aid of a person in need. He did not save his life, but rather hazarded it to do for Paul and for the cause of Christ what other Philippian Christians did not or could not do. And such a word as this, that word in English that we translate risking his life. He said that it brings its own challenge and rebuke to, and here it is, to an easygoing Christianity which makes no stern demands and calls for no limits of self-denying, self-effacing sacrifice. And so Epaphroditus, I think, is a beautiful example even as maybe a weaker guy and as as an emotional and sensitive one, he says, okay, I'm not ideal, but I'll go. I'll hazard this. And he rebukes and he moves away from this easygoing Christianity. You know, Billy Graham just passed away a few weeks ago. He said about courage that courage, remember, you might have heard him say this over the years, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often what? Stiffened. Right? I'm guessing that for some of us here, courage in Christianity isn't something that we often think about, right? Or consider. Are we willing to take a risk for the name of Christ? Martin Luther King Jr., he described it this way when he talked about courage, and obviously a courageous man dangerously unselfish. Isn't that a great way of saying it? Dangerously unselfish. See, we're called to live dangerously and not some extreme sport where we risk our life and do something goofy and foolish just to make it on YouTube. Right? But we are called to live dangerously unselfishly like Epaphroditus. You might say, well, pastor, hey, I'm a coward. I don't say it out loud, but realistically, when it comes to Jesus and Christianity, I'm more cowardly. But courage sounds good. How do I get there? I encourage you to go over to Matthew 13, and I'm going to just give you a verse. Read the context around it. I'm not going to look at it today for your own study, Matthew 13, 21. I want to hear from a few of you this week. Say, hey, pastor, I looked at that. What's the solution for Christian courage? Right? What's the solution to live like, like Epaphroditus did? Last little question there is, how am I advancing in willingness to sacrifice? How am I engaging in a service-oriented Christian life? And then how am I advancing in a willingness to sacrifice? Courage is the capacity that allows us to take risks, make sacrifices, and to be, as Martin Luther King said, dangerously unselfish. Courage helps us to withstand and grow through ongoing pain, suffering, isolation, and related difficulty. Righteousness requires it, and the Bible commands us to be bold and courageous more than 25 times. God takes courage and its lack very seriously. How am I advancing in willingness to boldly sacrifice in Christ's service? Father, 
What a beautiful passage. And sometimes we see Jesus' standard as unreachable and, and even people like Paul, but yet Epaphroditus and Timothy, they're Christians like us. <laughs> and Timothy, forever and all time in Christian circles, is held up as an example of faithful service. In Epaphroditus, we see this beautiful example of this uh, inadequate guy that uh, gets sick and almost dies sensitive. And he says, okay, I'll do it. I'm not particularly stoic and uh, I'm not sure I'm the right guy, but there's a need and I'm going to do it. And he risks everything. God, help us to consider what this type of sacrifice and courage will look like in our life. And when we're honest with ourselves, many of us live a life that gently kind of uh, pulls back. And Father, we might not be cowardly in the business world or in life, or yet in our quieter moments we understand that we're not very courageous in relationship with you. And so what will service and sacrifice look like in our life this week? And Father, help us direct us to Jesus' words in Matthew 13. And where is this source? If you call us to this type of service and sacrifice, how... Where's that sourced? We caught, we caught a glimpse in, with the Apostle Paul, but we catch more from the words of Jesus and the source of our strength. Help us. Father, help us to consider how are we advancing in our willingness to sacrifice up to the point of risking our life. In Christ's name, amen. Let's close, please, together. 420.